The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Let's listen together to this testimony as it's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning with the 66th verse. Listen now for God's word to you. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I know you want to talk about our bulletin cover for today. I know you're eager to discuss what may be the most perfect Christmas bulletin cover you've ever seen. And we'll get there, I promise. First though, we need to talk about the light. Specifically, we need to talk about light in the good book. In scripture, the very first words uttered by God are, let there be light. Light is creation's opening act. It marks the start of cosmic order. It is twinkle, twinkle little stars flung across the vast stretches of space. It is our blazing sun. It's a mammoth ball of plasma in which elements are, are fused, in which creation continues. It is energy surging through the universe. Light, visible light, is 
electromagnetic radiation, radiation that, that we can detect, radiation that we can see as it bounces off other things. Most scientists assert that the book of Genesis is not science, and I think they're right. Genesis is poetry and saga and truth about who humans are and how we are wired. Still, most scientists with whom I've spoken on this matter, including the recently deceased cosmologist Steven Weinberg, actually do think it is fitting that the Bible starts with light. There's at least one point on which the ancient Hebrews and modern physicists agree. We cannot talk about the beginning of the universe without first talking about light. I digress. I promised you light in scripture, not light in science. Light gets frequent mention in the Bible. And given that every single scrap of the good book was written and bound together long before Thomas Edison coaxed light from a platinum filament, we should probably remember that in the ancient times, light was a big deal. Light meant fire. Bring a torch, Jeanette Isabella. It was the ability to recognize faces in the dead of night, friend or foe. Light meant warmth and community, food being cooked, kin gathered round. Nowadays, we talk about light pollution, so much light that you cannot see the stars in the sky. So much light that you don't need to rely on the moon to, to navigate your way home in the evening. But in biblical times, light was a precious commodity. To the people who populate the pages of the good book, light was important and powerful. It could save you. So naturally, light entered the people's poetry and their theology. The sparks floating upward from a campfire, the stars in their courses, a lantern shining in a welcome window. These concrete things became metaphor. Your word, your word, says the psalmist, is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. Echoing the words of Jesus, legions of Sunday school children have sung, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Come on. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. So even though you can see the lights of Times Square from space, these metaphors still work for us. We tend to view light as something good, as something that just might save us. 
Check the batteries in those flashlights when you get home today. Years ago, my former colleague, Laura Lewis, told me a story about a seminary student who was planning a lesson plan on the ninth chapter of Isaiah. You know the text. We read it every year on Christmas Eve. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness on them, light has shined. As part of her research into Isaiah, this student decided to find the place on campus, on the seminary campus, that had the least amount of light. And after hunting around, she discovered a little-used racquetball court in the basement of a classroom building. A good portion of the court was actually underground. And this enterprising student discovered that when you got inside and closed the door and turned out the lights, it was really dark in there. There wasn't a single stray photon bouncing around that could make an impression on a human retina. It was, she said, midnight. When it came time for this student to lead her class through the lesson, she brought them down the stairs through the small racquetball court door, and she sat them down around the edges of the court. And then she said, you are people who live in a land of deep darkness, and she turned out the light. A few students gasped. And then it got pretty quiet. She waited. In the hush and in the dark, they sat. They sat and waited. After five minutes, five surprisingly long, silent, and absolutely dark minutes, she read the words, those who have lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. And with those words, she struck a match and lit a small candle. Now, by no means did that small candle fill the vast room with light, but all the same, it changed things. It changed them radically. With the flickering of the light, people saw themselves and they saw each other. They saw faces, surprised faces, puzzled faces, even a couple of faces streaked with tears. For those in perpetual night, a little light made all the difference, all the difference in the world. Light changes things. While they rarely appear in our nativity scenes, Zechariah and Elizabeth are part of our Christmas story. In a way, the whole journey toward Christmas starts when the angel Gabriel visits Zechariah. Zechariah is going about his priestly duties in the temple, and that's where Gabriel meets him. Gabriel tells him, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son. You will name him John. At this, Zechariah scoffs. We're old. For years we've prayed. We lit candles. 
We hoped for a little light in our lives and nothing. Our dreams for children are long gone. Don't mess with us. Don't try to kindle a spark in this old heart. Don't be so terribly cruel. I feel for Zechariah. Gabriel, though, Gabriel is not sympathetic. Gabriel gets right in Zechariah's grill. Heaven's messenger unfurls his wings and thunders. Well, isn't this ironic? Here you are conversing with an angel in God's house. You work as a priest. You are trained to be on the lookout for God. And yet, right now, face to face, you doubt my words. Zachariah, you poor soul, you have forgotten how to dream. To help you relearn this skill, I'm going to make you mute. You will not be able to speak. You will watch, you will listen, you will let Elizabeth do the talking until you've seen these things take place. And that's exactly what happens. Zechariah is mute. Elizabeth does all the talking for the pregnant couple. Feminist scholars love to point out that the first thing the Gospel of Luke does is silence the male clergy. <laughs> Let Elizabeth and Mary proclaim visions from God. Let's listen to those who can still dream, those who can dream big. In today's bulletin on page 9 and on your screen, you can find a fresco painted by Fra Angelico in 1434. In this scene, Elizabeth holds the couple's child and neighbors ask the name of the baby. She replies, John, we're going to call him John. And the people raise their eyebrows at this. No one in your family, come on, Elizabeth, nobody in your family is named John. Look at your poor husband sitting there. The man's falling apart. He can't even speak anymore. Throw the old guy a bone. Why don't you call the baby Zachariah Jr.? Hearing this, Zachariah, still muted by Gabriel, motions for a pen and paper. He scrawls Gabriel's words on the parchment. His name is John. At this, Zechariah's tongue is loosened. He speaks. He sings. The old priest is back in touch with his dreams. This child is is a gift from God. You, you'll probably dismiss this as the blathering of a, of a proud papa, but I'm convinced that this little dream will bring light to the world. What is Zechariah saying? What does it mean to bring light to the world? Okay, I promised we would return to today's Christmassy bulletin cover. A fairly nondescript building in west central Houston houses one of the most intriguing sacred spaces in the world. 
the Rothko Chapel. On entering the octagonal room furnished with austere wooden benches, visitors are surrounded by 14 colossal paintings by Mark Rothko. Rothko, often described as the preeminent painter of his generation, was part of the New York School of Mid 20th century artists. His, his studio was actually located not far from this church, just over on West 53rd Street. Rothko was known for producing canvases with, with brilliant hues built by layer upon layer of colored washes. In 1964, Rothko, a Latvian Jew, was commissioned by a Roman Catholic couple from Texas to design and fill a meditative space, a chapel in Houston with his works. In the late 1990s, I visited the Rothko Chapel while in Houston. I was teaching a class at First Presbyterian Church only a few blocks away. The Rothko Chapel is a quiet place. Although my initial impression was that the art around me offered sparse pickings for the spiritual pilgrim. Sitting amidst 14 black canvases tempts a Philistine like me to imagine that I too could be a famous artist. <laughs> I could do this. You've done that before. Still, I sat there. I figured there had to be something worth experiencing. The security guard told me that, that she keeps a box of tissues at her desk. So many people, she confided, leave our little chapel weeping. So I sat. I watched. Light enters the Rothko Chapel through a skylight in the roof. And this light, which plays across the face of the paintings, changes constantly. As clouds pass by, as the sun moves across the sky, the canvases transform. Sitting there, I realized that these 14 paintings were not, as I first thought, virtually identical rectangles covered in flat black paint. Each canvas is distinct in texture and tone. As, as light moved around the room, changing in intensity and angle, I began to see other colors purples, greens, oxblood red. Each painting in the chapel was a wash of different colors, far more complex and wonderful than I first imagined. In that chapel, light revealed things. 
like a magic trick. It, it, it dissolved my initial prejudice. This both was and was not a simple space. I, I began to question my powers of observation when I first walked in. Was I seeing only what I expected to see, only what I wanted to see? What was the truth of this space? What exactly was being revealed here? One art critic describes feeling undone while sitting in the Rothko Chapel. Others describe each successive visit to the chapel as a spiritual journey. Rothko himself wrote that bright-colored paintings intrude into our space. Yellows and oranges, ooh, they come at us. While darker hues pull us into their world. I felt this. Rothko's canvases draw a person in, and, and then it dawns on us. The light, the sacred light in the chapel is actually shining on us too. As it did with Rothko's paintings, this light changes our way of seeing. It reveals surprising depths in us. We are so much more than monochromatic canvases sitting in that meditative space as the light dances around you. You hear the voice of Advent an ancient voice that's bounced to the cosmos since that very first day from the dawn of creation, a voice inviting us to walk in the light of God. Sitting, listening to his neighbors argue with his wife, Zechariah breaks his protracted silence. He gives voice to a precious dream, a vision so dear to the priest's heart he's been afraid. His whole life he's been afraid to say it out loud. Today though, today the baby bouncing on his knee gives him courage. By the tender mercy of God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This past week, my friend Annalise sent me a text. It was a typical family picture. Annalise and her husband Bob and two of their young adult boys all standing close around an older woman, Annalise's mother. I looked at their warm faces, at the physical similarities that you can see being reflected down through the generations, the high cheekbones, the broad smiles. And then I read the text under the picture. We were in Omaha for Thanksgiving with my mom. She didn't understand about the holiday or remember our names. 
but you could tell she knows we are her people. She trusts us and just wants to be with us. There's something luminous about the photo my friend sent. It's not a photo of life at its perfect best. It's more than that. It's better than that. The people in this picture so clearly belong to each other in good times and in not so good times. And that makes it in every way an advent photo, a photo full of grace in a hard, hard world. It's a holy canvas where the light of God dances, revealing surprising truths. This Advent, my friends, I encourage you to bring the light, this little light of mine. Carry candles with you wherever you go and watch, see, if the world is not quite so bleak, see if life is not what you have come to expect, not a flat, colorless thing after all. Light will do that, you know. It will change things. It will get you dreaming. Friends, go out into Advent in peace. And as you go, take candles, bring light, carry light, point to the light wherever you go. Love and serve the Lord. Amen.